0: Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. My name is Pastor Jim Melvin. I'm glad you could join me today. Although the sermons at Faith at Work are biblically based, I always try to relate them to issues of day-to-day life as much as possible. Sometimes current events present themselves in ways that can't be ignored. And the devastation caused by Hurricane Ian in Florida last week is one such event. There was extensive news coverage of the hurricane aftermath that documented the first reactions of the day's survivors returning to their ruined houses. An interview with one young woman particularly struck me. Crying desperate tears, she pointed at the wreckage of a ruined trailer park where her home lay crushed under the hull of a tour boat and asked, What do I do? It's all gone. I have nothing. Look at this. Where do you start? Yes, where do you start when everything lies in ruins? Today, I'm going to be talking about rebuilding and recovering after disaster. It will take the victims of Ian years to return to any sense of normalcy, and in some ways, things will never be the same. And the rebuilding I'm talking about is two-dimensional. The first is the physical rebuilding of homes and businesses, and roads and bridges and other components of infrastructure that are necessary for a community to function. The other dimension is the spiritual, emotional rebuilding that needs to be done in order for individuals and communities to recover from such trauma. Where I'm going to start is by turning to an age-old story of destruction and rebuilding, the story of the people of Israel, In a very real sense, the whole story of the people of Israel, told in the Bible, is a millennia's long tale of destruction and rebuilding. Two anchor points in that story are the destruction of the first temple and the city of Jerusalem about 600 BC by the Babylonians, which took centuries to rebuild, and then the destruction of the rebuilt temple by the Romans in 70 AD, whose rebuilding is a promise yet to be fulfilled. We read the story of the destruction of the first temple in Kings, 2 Kings. In the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which was the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, the capital, captain of the bodyguard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of the Lord, the king's house, and all the houses of Jerusalem, Every great house he burned down. All the armies of the Chaldeans, who were with the captain of the guard, broke down the walls around Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, carried into exile the rest of the people who were left in the city and the deserters who had defected to the king of Babylon. All the rest of the population. But the captain of the guard left some of the poorest people of the land to be vine dressers and tillers of the soil. The bronze pillars that were in the house of the Lord, as well as the stands in the bronze um, sea that were in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans broke in pieces, and carried the bronze to Babylon. They took away the pots, the shovels, the snuffers, the dishes of it for incense, and all the bronze vessels used at the temple service, as well as the fire pans and basins. What was made of gold, the captain of the guard, took away for the gold. And what was made for silver, for the silver. Here ends the reading. Let me put this story in a larger context that makes the tragedy even, even more poignant. Since the time that the Israelites had been freed from bondage in Egypt, they had dreamed that God would provide for them a homeland that he would promised a land flowing with milk and honey. And after generations of hardship, they reached that land. There they prospered. They built a glowing city on a hill, Jerusalem, crowned by gold-encrusted dwelling for for God the temple. This was the golden age of King David and Solomon. Life was good. God's promise had been fulfilled. But it didn't last long. The kingdom was split apart by civil war and sucked into the violent conflicts surrounding powerful empires. As I just read, it was burned to the ground. Nothing of any worth was left. The remnant of Israel carted off to Babylon, sat and sang the song of lament. By the rivers of Babylon there we sat and there we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung our harps For there our captors ask for songs, and our tormentors ask for mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither. Let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy in the aftermath of overwhelming destruction, you just have to sit down and cry. As the writer of Ecclesiastes says, there's a time to laugh and a time to cry. This was the time to cry. What else can you do? That was the purpose of the Lament Psalms, to let it out, get your grief out, and even curse God if you have to. God understands At this point, there's a sense of overwhelm and hopelessness. And one of the first and most important jobs of faith is giving us the space to mourn. Those exiles in Babylon have no hope of ever returning home. But their lives did not end. They did the best that they could and eventually adapted to life in a new land. They had a new identity. Things were different. They were reduced from a rich and powerful nation to a nation in exile. And as we read their story, we can still mourn with them. This is the state of the permanent residents of Florida right now. This is a time of lament. It's a time when all people can do is sit down and cry. We will also hear victims crying out in anger or frustration because it feels like help isn't coming fast enough, no matter how hard disaster relief workers try and how much priority local, state, and federal government agencies place on it. There's just too much to do. What can we do beyond donating our dollars and if we're able to going down to take part in the recovery work? As a people of faith, we can give the people of Florida the spiritual space to mourn. We can pray with them and for them, and that means being patient and understanding. We should not, as I have heard many people do, blame the victims. I've heard comments like, that's just a bunch of rich people who build their big houses and then expect us to pay to help them out or the more common folk, they should know better than to build down there. Let them move somewhere else. No. Now is the time to listen and commiserate and to give up on our own resentments that we will, one way or another, pay part of the cost. We're in this together. The time to mourn always passes, though. After a generation in captivity in Babylon, the remnant of Israel was allowed to return to build uh, by King Cyrus of Persia, who had in the meantime defeated the Babylonians. For those who chose to return to Jerusalem, the future was dim. They returned to a city in ruins, an economic collapse. Some doubted that it could ever be built back. But the prophet Isaiah spoke a word of hope. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness, and your gloom be like noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places, and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. Do you know what? The temple was rebuilt. The city was restored. The temple that we hear about in the gospel stories of Jesus is a second temple. It wasn't easy There were ups and downs through the centuries. Other foreign powers, including Rome, would occupy Israel. But the community of faith, God's chosen people, rebuilt and restored their land. Of course, that temple would be destroyed again after Jesus' death. But the city of Jerusalem survives to this day. The wall that surrounds the old city now has been rebuilt time and time again. Jerusalem has literally risen over the ruins of the past. Florida will be rebuilt. The cleaning up and rebuilding started as soon as the waters and the winds receded. The people, most of them, will return. But it will take the combined effort of the American people to accomplish it. It will take community. It will take faith. We will need modern prophets like Isaiah to speak words of hope and faith and encouragement. Hopefully, we will rebuild smarter and stronger, taking into consideration rising oceans and ever more violent storms being generated as a result of our warming planet. But if we're smart enough, and if we work together with resolve, We shall raise up the foundations of many generations. We shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. Buildings are never permanent, no matter how strong we build them. Jesus reminded his disciples of that one day as they emerged from worship in the temple. He said, As he came out of the temple, one of the disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. Not in his lifetime, but a generation later, that prophecy was fulfilled. The Romans tore it down stone by stone. Jesus was trying to remind his disciples about the impermanence of everything. Eventually, everything will be reduced to rubble. As human beings, we have a finite existence on this earth. Everything that we work for and build is only temporary. And that's why Jesus turns to spiritual matters. Jesus said, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for forty-six years, and you will raise it up in three days? But Jesus was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. The ultimate message for us, is resurrection. Physical things go through cycles, tearing down and rebuilding. The cycles of the seasons seasons remind us of that. After all is said and done, we need to turn our attention to spiritual or heavenly things. We have the promise of final, eternal rebuilding of life in the kingdom of God. Right now, Let's stand with our brothers and sisters in Florida to support them with prayer and with the physical assistance they need to rebuild. The same will go for the people of Ukraine, whose country has been devastated by a storm of human making. We live in the hope that their lives and their country will be rebuilt also. But to all, we extend the promise of eternal life. And no one expresses this promise better than Paul in Romans 5. He says, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. If and when you find your life in ruins, recall how God has been faithful to his people over the generations. Focus on the promise of eternal life. You can always rebuild. Amen. Thank you for joining me today. May God build you up when the world tears you down. May God bless you and keep you. May God's face shine upon you. May God look upon you with favor and give you peace.